Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. This past week, I happened to be having a difficult moment because I'm human. And so I was in this moment struggling internally, feeling sad, discouraged, overwhelmed, starting to spiral. And in that exact moment, my phone dinged. And it was a text message out of the blue from a friend. And the words that I read on this text message were an encouragement. They, they buoyed me up. They offered perspective and hope that I needed. And of course, the person that sent this text message didn't have any idea what was going on with me. They didn't know the timing. But the message really lifted my spirits. Why did that person send me that text right when they did? They had no idea what was going on with me, but somehow they followed an urge to send me that text message. Was the timing just luck? A friend of mine told me about two different people this last year who came to him and they said, hey, I was thinking about this and you came to mind. And so they went on to say, look, I really have no idea why or what this means, but I feel like I'm supposed to share this with you. And they went on to relay something. So my, my friend told me how much meaning and symbolism he found in what these people had shared with him, even though the people who shared it had no idea why they had such a strong urge to share with him. What was that all about? Was it completely arbitrary? And I could go on to tell you so many different stories like this from people I've known. Deep conversations with old friends who brought a fresh word, opportunities that popped up out of the blue, meaningful connections with people on the margins, strange urges to do something or say something, but not really knowing why until a long time later. Notes and messages written that kind of just popped up and no one knows who wrote them, but they meant a lot. A bunch of different people who really don't know one another, all telling someone something and somehow these different people's words all come together to give one person a distinct and life-changing message. Receiving words from random strangers that are exactly what you need to hear. Dreams that people had where they woke up and they wondered, was that a dream from God? Strange experiences with animals or like garbage cans or windshield wipers or things that are just kind of every day, 
but somehow these experiences held deep spiritual meaning and caused people to sense God is here, God is doing something. Life is weird. It's surprising. Just about the time that you start thinking that everything is pretty humdrum and boring and normal and the same old, same old, maybe even arbitrary or pointless, slapdash, unplanned, just about the time you start to think that way, something comes out of left field and it completely shines a new light, knocks your socks off, opens your mind, feels like there's so much more going on. This isn't just a coincidence. Like all of a sudden it feels like God is doing something in your own backyard, in your own heart, in your own life, and somehow you're a part of it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have these kinds of experiences, I want to understand what God is up to in this world. How is this strange coincidental experience that I just had? I want to know, how is this a part of the bigger picture that God is up to? Like, to use this image, when God takes a couple pieces of my life and clicks them into place, kind of like a jigsaw puzzle, I want to see where those puzzle pieces fit in the puzzle. I want to see the box top. I want to see the whole picture. God, what are you up to in this world? How am I supposed to be a part of it? However, if I have to be honest about reality and my own spiritual experience, here's the metaphor that I would use to describe many chapters, not all, but many chapters of my own spiritual experience. It goes something like this. God gives me a couple jigsaw puzzle pieces. They're edge pieces and they actually fit together and I get pretty excited because once you have your edges figured out, you're really cooking. And then God gives me a couple dots. They're over in left field somewhere and wait a minute, God, I thought you were giving me jigsaw pieces. Whoa, are we doing a dot to dot? Well, then along comes someone who says, hey, I don't know what recipe you're trying to cook up, but I feel like I'm supposed to share this uh, smoked cheddar cheese and these apples with you. Well, I didn't even know I was cooking a recipe. I thought I was doing a jigsaw puzzle. Didn't God start me out with a jigsaw puzzle? And in the midst of trying to figure out what recipe uses smoked cheddar cheese and apples, I run up against a hurdle that I never saw coming, a hurdle that's completely in the wrong place. I fall all over it and skin my knees. I didn't know I signed up for the hurdles. I thought I was doing a jigsaw puzzle, but falling over hurdles hurts, so I figure out how to jump over them. And someone tells me, hey, you're pretty good at jumping over those. I have no idea what that has to do with puzzles or cheddar cheese. I just keep jumping hurdles when I come to them. And someone else says, hey, can you help me figure out how to jump hurdles? I'm not very good at it. Well, then I meet someone who I've never met before. 
and they recognize my two puzzle pieces and they describe the entire picture. It's like they've seen the box top and they completely open my eyes to what my two puzzle pieces are a part of. I now see my two puzzle pieces in a completely new light. But when I go back and I try to talk to that person and ask them about that puzzle conversation, they can't really remember that conversation or what they told me. Well, then along comes someone with a soup spoon. And they have no idea why, but they feel like they're supposed to offer their soup spoon to me, which is weird. But what's odd is how the soup spoon somehow feels like something I've been missing and desperately need. I have no idea why. And in the midst of all this, someone comes along and they ask me if I remember what I said to them about Little Red Wagons. They tell me that what I said about Little Red Wagons changed their life. Now, I don't remember saying anything about Little Red Wagons. And finally, someone comes along and they say, hey, can I have your two puzzle pieces? Because I have all of the edge pieces put together, and I just need those two. And so I give them my puzzle pieces, wondering what in the world is going on. Now, that's my metaphor for my own spiritual experience, many chapters of it. It's like when life is handing me puzzle pieces, I want to see the box top. And when it's handing me ingredients, I want to see the recipe. And when it's handing me dots, I want to see the whole picture. And when it's handing me puzzle pieces and ingredients and hurdles and dots all at the same time, the burning question is how do all of these things that all feel significant fit together? Now, can you relate to this at all? Is it coincidence? Is it happenstance? Is it God? Here's a reflection question that we chatted about on Sunday together. What do you tend to do with experiences that feel spiritually significant, but you can't make sense of them? And why is this your tendency? So here's a couple options. Do you A, tell other people about my experience to see if they can help me make sense of it? B, if I can't understand it through science, reason, or logic, I assume the perceived spiritual phenomenon wasn't real. With 8 billion people on earth, strange things are bound to happen. C, if I can't make sense of it, I tend to forget about it, even if it felt significant at that time. D, I don't talk about this kind of stuff much with other people, but I ruminate on these kinds of experiences for years to come. I wonder what they meant. E, I tell myself that it's silly to act like every coincidence is a spiritual experience, and I secretly wonder if I'm losing my mind. Or F, other, do you do something else? So reflect on that. If you're listening along with someone else, chat about your answer with them. There's an ancient Greek word, sumbalo. It's a picture 
of different things that all come together. They're thrown together, twisted together, dashed together, come together. This word can describe many different rivers, different strands all coming together. And for us, coming from the land of many waters, the land of the Tillamook people, we know all about many waters coming together. Even this past week, we encountered hundreds of tiny little creeks and streams and puddles and tributaries and rivers all coming together. Now, just because things come together doesn't mean they make any sense to you. You only know that all of these things feel significant. But what in the world are you supposed to do with all of these things coming together? Well, this brings us to Mary's spiritual experience in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 38. I can just imagine Luke sitting down with Mary, and Luke is interviewing all of the living voices, the eyewitnesses of Jesus, and he only has 35 to 40 feet of papyrus to record 30 plus years worth of what happened in the life of Jesus. So he's writing some of the most significant things, and Mary's telling her story, and she's looking back on her life. And one thing that Mary keeps saying is important enough that Luke has to include it. He has to write it down. Luke hears Mary saying, I treasured all of these things and I pondered them in my heart. Or as the ASV translation says, Mary kept all these sayings, pondering them in her heart. Or the CEV Mary kept thinking about all of this and wondering what it meant. The, the words there, so treasured, uh, terao is to cause something to continue along with something else, to keep together, to preserve both. Mary held room in her heart for all of these words, all of these things that didn't yet make sense in her experience. Not only did she treasure these things, she pondered them, which is that word sumbalo, which means to throw together, to dash together, to come together, to unite the streams of rivers. So I want to help you see Mary's disorientation, her treasuring and her pondering. I want to help you see some of the different rivers, the different threads of her experience that were all running together and probably made no sense. And if you want to follow along with the story, because I'm not just going to read this whole scripture to you right here, it's pretty long, but if you want to follow along, you can open your Bible to Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 38. Here are a couple of the puzzle pieces in the story. So the angel had promised Mary that her son would be given the throne of his father, David. That happened in Luke chapter one, the throne of Jerusalem. And the song that had been in Mary's heart from the beginning was 
He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. That was the song. It was in her heart. But then Mary looked at reality. If you read Luke chapter 2, verse 1, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. A census had all kinds of sinister implications to people in poverty, landless, without power, without a voice, a census sounded like exploitation, more exploitation. A census was all about assessing wealth, taxing people to the maximum, building the military, securing oaths of allegiance to the Roman Empire. Historically, when rulers announced a census, it was a time when rebellions and revolts were known to break out because a census had all kinds of sinister implications. A census to Mary was an ugly reminder that the song that she felt like she had been given, which is, he has brought down the rulers from their thrones, that didn't really fit reality. Because God had not brought Caesar down from his throne. Caesar was still on the throne, and he was gearing up and expanding and biggering and biggering. That was reality. So, there's a couple puzzle pieces. And then, here are a couple of dots out in right field, left field, wherever they are. The, the idea of Mary and Joseph trying to get a room at an inn, at a motel, that has been thoroughly refuted by biblical scholars. I can point you in directions to follow up on that if you like. Mary and Joseph had to travel for the census from Mary's family in Nazareth to stay with Joseph's relatives in Bethlehem. And of course, there's a lot we don't know. <coughs> We don't know the family dynamics. We only know that Mary and Joseph did not get the guest room. There was no room for them in the, and the Greek is the kataluma, which is the upper room or the guest room. It's the same term that is used for the upper room where Jesus shares his last meal with his disciples. First century peasants didn't keep their animals in barns normally. They didn't have barns. Most homes, many homes, were split level. The upper level was reserved for sleeping. It had a guest room, the Cataluma. Uh, the lower level was a cooking space and a living space. And it wasn't uncommon at all for livestock to be brought into that lower level at night for safekeeping. Archaeologists have discovered numerous feeding troughs or mangers dug into the edge of the living space. It was quite normal. Now, we have no way of knowing how magical the birth experience felt or how difficult it was. We have no way of knowing how the relationship dynamics with the in-laws were going, no way of knowing if there were women relatives who helped Mary through the birthing experience, if Joseph stayed around, if he left. No way of knowing if putting the baby in the animal feed trough felt like it's okay, you know, make do, make shift, it's all right. 
or if it felt like, wow, everything has gone completely off the rails. How much worse can it get than birthing your first child, the son of the Most High God, who's supposed to be king of Israel, but you're in your in-law's living room and you didn't get the guest room, complete with cow pies in the corner, and now you have nowhere to even put him to sleep except the animal feed trough. Some right field, left field dots. And then there's some cheddar cheese and apples. That same night, as the baby was born, a group of shepherds showed up raving about some kind of an angel experience they had. Shepherds were considered thieves, grazing their flocks on other people's land. They had no honor. They were despised. They left their wives at home all night long. They were considered unclean, immoral. Is that the kind of person you want to visit you the night after you give birth? But here they were at the in-law's house going on and on about the gospel and Savior and Messiah and Lord and peace on earth. Now, we hear those words, and those words just sound like religious terms to us, but not so to Mary. Those words sounded treasonous in Mary's day. The angels and the shepherds were calling her son titles that were reserved for Caesar Augustus. Caesar was Savior. Caesar was Lord. Caesar was considered Son of God. The rise of the Roman Empire was called the Gospel, Good News. Caesar Augustus was the one who was known to have secured peace on earth, the Pax Romana. Now, Mary wasn't just trying to process her own angel experience that she had nine months ago. Now she's trying to make sense of someone else's angel experience. She's trying to make sense of these words that have been given to people she never met before, these people on the margins of society, these shepherds. Just to try to bring this into the modern day, imagine someone who looks like they've been living under a bridge for about five months. They bang on your door to tell you about a spiritual vision that they just had about you. And a part of you wants to slam the door and say, goodbye, bug off. But what they're saying, yes, it's massively disruptive, but a part of what they're saying resonates with things that have been going on in your heart, happening in your life. And so a part of you wants to hear them out. Talk about disorienting. And then here's a soup spoon thrown in for good measure. A few days later, Mary encountered more words. She encountered an old man she'd never met, Simeon, who stopped her to hold her baby, and he was calling her baby a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Um, come again? The Gentiles, like the Romans, the foreigners, the Samaritans, people from Tyre, Sidon, Decapolis, these are people from the other side of the tracks. Every Jew's most bitter enemy, the thorn in their side, why would anyone want to light the way for their enemies? Like, don't we celebrate when our enemies stumble in the darkness? Why would we celebrate giving them light? And the old man went on and told Mary that people would speak against her son 
and that a sword would pierce her own soul too. Talk about ominous. A what? A sword? Who has the sword? What? Who's doing the piercing? What's going on? Well, there was no time to process that thread because here came an old woman. Mary didn't know her. Anna, a well-known woman in the temple, known as a prophet, and now she was speaking about the child bringing redemption to Jerusalem. Well, wait a minute. Is it Israel or the Gentiles? Is it Rome or Israel? Is it, like It can't be both, can it? So can you feel the disorientation for Mary yet? With each and every experience, Mary was encountering Jesus in a little different way. In a little different way. The baby in her belly looked a little different in the light of a Roman census. The baby in her belly looked a little different when he was sleeping in a feeding trough. He looked a little different in the light of shepherds from the margins of society, calling him all of the names that were reserved for Caesar. He looked a little different in the light of an old man, calling him a light to the Gentiles, all of Israel's enemies. He looked a little different in the light of an old woman, calling him the redemption of Jerusalem. Theologian Leonard Sweet says this. He says, you don't meet people where they are. You meet Jesus where he is in the midst of people where they are. You don't bring Christ to the world. You bring yourself to where Christ is on the move in the world. And you fall in with what Christ is already doing to save the world. When this whole thing started, Mary only had to deal with what God was doing in her own life, with her own body, in her own relationship with Joseph. And then she found out it had something to do with her relative Elizabeth, but it was a relatively tight circle. But now she was dealing with what God was doing in the world, something much bigger than her. What was she supposed to do with this space between her experience and the experience of other people, like shepherds she'd never met? How was she, she supposed to make sense of the connections between an expanding oppressive Roman Empire and the spiritual experience of despised people from the margins her son sleeping in a feeding trough in the in-laws' cow pie living room, old faces with fresh words. Can you begin to hear the puzzle pieces and the cheddar cheese and the apples and the dots and the soup spoons in Mary's experience? Talk about disorienting. So as Mary told Luke her story, what she emphasized enough that Luke wrote it down was as much as I wanted to make sense of it, all I could do was hold space for all of these different voices and experiences in my heart. I treasured all of these things and I pondered them in my heart. That's what Mary is telling Luke. She sunterao, she kept all of these things together. She preserved them. She let 
one thing continue to exist along with something else. That's what it means to treasure these things. And she pondered them in her heart. Her mind couldn't rec reconcile it all, but she held room in her heart for all these things that didn't make sense. She let the many waters of what God was doing run together rather than allowing one experience or one word to cancel out another experience. Now, let's consider your own spiritual experiences. Friedrich Buchner says, Coincidences are God's way of getting our attention. Albert Einstein says, Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. When you have a bunch of different pieces of your own spiritual experience, pieces of who you are and pieces of other people and what they've experienced and brought to you, and all these pieces seem disjointed and contradicting and like they don't fit together, and some of the pieces feel radical, dangerous, out of left field, and other pieces just feel like, wow, we must be way off track because there are cow pies in the living room. And you so want to make sense of it all, but you can't. The temptation is to just throw some of those pieces of your experience and maybe even pieces of who you are away. Or throw pieces of someone else and their spiritual experience away. The temptation is to act like that chance encounter that moved you so deeply with that person who looked like they lived under the bridge, just act like it doesn't matter. Or like act like the text that you received that felt like it was from God, but treat it like it doesn't count because other circumstances came up and they prove that's not what God's doing. The temptation is to stop thinking about that dream that you felt like was from God or to cancel out experiences and words that feel contradictory and like they certainly both couldn't have deep meaning. And so you pick and choose which words and experiences you're going to give validity to. The temptation is to do the opposite of treasure and ponder, preserve both, allow the rivers to run together. The temptation is to get rid of the things that don't make sense to us. When Jesus became an adult, Mary temporarily succumbed to this temptation. Mary tried to make Jesus come home. The pieces weren't lining up for her. Nobody in Mary's Jewish world could imagine a suffering Messiah. That wasn't something that people conceived of. That sounded like a contradiction. And Mary thought Jesus had gone out of his mind. Mary's not alone in this temptation, this impulse to throw out the pieces that don't make sense. What I hear Mary telling Luke is the lesson that she learned through the decades of being a part of what God was doing in the world. And that lesson goes something like this. One day you will look back and you will see 
more clearly. But for right now, don't throw all of your spiritual experiences that you don't know how to make sense of out the window. Hold space for those experiences that you don't know how to make sense of. The significant experiences that don't seem to fit together, don't throw half of them, the ones that make the least sense, out. Throw them together. Allow them to all coexist. Let the rivers run together. Treasure them. Ponder them. Don't try to make them line up. Keep them. Wait. See. God is already doing something in this world. And like Mary, you get to be a part of God's saving work, but you are not the only part. You aren't just bringing the world to God. God is already on the move in the world. And what God is doing is bigger and more expansive than you. It's grander than you can conceive. You get to be a part of it, and one day you will look back and you'll say, Wow, I couldn't comprehend of a love like that. So I want to ask you to return to your answer to our first discussion question, which was, What do you tend to do with experiences that feel spiritually significant but you can't make sense of them? And take a moment to sit with this additional question. What would it look like for me to treasure and ponder my significant spiritual experiences even when I can't make sense of them? I close with this. The Apostle Paul prayed that we might all have the capacity together to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you all may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.